Okay. Well, you know what? I think we're going to go ahead and get started. So thank you guys so much for joining us today, and um, welcome to today's Bloggers Roundtable featuring three um, Army Unmanned Aircraft Operators live um, in Nashville, Tennessee at the 2011 Army Aviation Association of America Conference, and most people just call it Quad A. Um, the Unmanned Aircraft System Project Office is responsible for developing and acquiring all unmanned aircraft for the Army, um, the United States Marine Corps, as well as the U.S. Army Special Operations Command. And these panel members are those soldiers that have volunteered for and received training for these specific aircraft. Here with us today we have Army Chief Warrant Officer 2, Scott War, who is a tactical unmanned aircraft supporter, excuse me, system warrant officer, warrant officer and operator who's had two deployments. We also have Army Staff Sergeant David Scales, who is a shadow tactical UAS operator who's had two deployments, as well as Army Sergeant First Class Jose Blanco, who's a Raven small unmanned aircraft system operator and instructor who's had three deployments. We're going to begin with opening remarks, and we'll have each of the panelists um, explain the training that went into mastering their designated aircraft and what are some of the capabilities of their specific aircraft, as well as their experience so far at the, um, the 2011 Quad 8 conference. So if we're going to just go ahead and we're going to start with you, um, Chief Warrant Officer 2, Scott War, if you wouldn't mind starting us out. Um, I'm currently in 82nd uh, 3rd Brigade Combat Team. Um, I'm the platoon leader and tech warrant officer for uh, the Shadow Unmanned Aerial System. Um, what was um, I've been on two deployments with it uh, to Iraq. Um, they were both for 13 or 12 months. Uh, the training that went into this. Uh, I got picked uh, uh, in one second. We, um, can we move on uh, to uh, Sergeant Blanco perhaps right now? Uh, and then we'll get back to uh, CW2 War. All right. Sergeant First Class Jose Blanco, we're going to start with you then. All righty. Um, I've done three tours to Iraq. I have 20 uh, years, plus years of military service, all infantry, combat-related ground troops. Uh, my uh, path to this, uh, believe it or not, was surprising. I got selected to head up the project down to Fort Benning. I replaced Master Sergeant Hicks, who's the uh, prior master trainer. He started the initial program down with Reginald Persant, one of the uh, uh, contractors down there that helped initiate the Raven program down at Fort Benning. I stepped in. Uh, they selected me as, uh, as an instructor. Believe it or not, I showed up late. Sergeant Major said, hey, I'm going to send you to Ravens. I did not know what a Raven was. Um, Spent the next year training up to be an instructor, uh, going down range on MTTs or mobile training teams down to Iraq, Afghanistan, providing training for the troops. Uh, I loved the program. Uh, the biggest thing I loved about the program was that it was easy to train young troops, very quickly, very effective. Uh, Ten days of training, intense training, everything from flight operations, basic flight to airspace management, and then going into advanced flight and mission coordination with the uh, ground troops and air uh, systems. Uh, that's including Apache, Black Hawks, Kiowas, being able to transmit that information down from the ground up to the aircraft pilot and get support from them, and also for uh, EDA battle damage assessment, reconnaissance, and surveillance. Um, but believe it or not, my passion for this job drove was uh, my experiences in combat. Being a ground troop, I lost a lot of friends, saw a lot of guys step on IEDs, uh, get blown up. Uh, you know, if I can prevent that from happening to another ground troop, 
and this is the best job to do it in. Uh, we also work with ground robotics, so we're doing a lot of teaming with ground and air robotics and uh, one man, uh, excuse me, one system remote viewing terminals. So we incorporate a lot of the training with all three systems down in Benning, and uh, mainly we're teaching tactics and training to the soldiers down there. Great, thank you. And we'll go next with um, Staff Sergeant David Scales. Yeah. Sergeant uh, Scales. Yeah, good morning, uh, wherever you are. Um, let's see. I guess I've been uh, flying uh, the shadow for about five years or so. Uh, I've been in the Army about, uh, what, 13. Um, I guess I guess I was in an overstrength uh, job before in the Army. They moved me over. Uh, trainings, I guess for me, as an operator, is, what, seven months long. Uh, it's actually... Uh, rather easy to uh, get into. Um, I've been on two deployments uh, with the system, uh, both to Iraq. Uh, I guess right now I'm currently a uh, platoon sergeant, which uh, entails me to, um, I guess my main job is to make sure all the training happens. Uh, like Chief Ward, who spoke earlier, is my platoon leader in tech also. So like, um, uh, he told me what needs to be done, and it's my job to get my... Uh, uh, guys to, uh, you know, to that point, you know, the training so they're proficient at their job. Um, I've got a list of tasks I have to do, and I uh, dole, dole it out to make sure everybody uh, knows what it is, and they get those jobs done. Thank you. Okay, well, now we're going to begin with, with questions. Um, before we begin that, is each blogger, before asking their question, can please state their name and their affiliation before the question? And for each panelist, if you can clearly state your name before answering the question, we should be good to go to make sure we're not getting any miscommunication. So we'll start out there at the net. Hi, this is uh, John Reed with uh, Defense Tech and Military.com. Uh, this uh, question is for uh, Sergeant Blanco. Can you talk a little bit more about um, integrating uh, the, the air vehicles with the ground robots? Roger, sir. Right now we're, uh, we're working with Sugby and several other ground robotics. Um, line of sight for the systems is 300 meters out for the ground robots. Uh, right now we're trying to increase that capability or the distance, excuse me, by using the Ravens to transmit the signal uh, or uh, digital data link down to the ground robots and push them out maybe about a click. This helps the ground troops uh, push the robot out further, keeps them away from harm, and able to, you know, do a, re a good recon out in the battlefield. So that's some of the teaming we're doing or experimenting with down at Benning. Um, but it's, it's, it's being done every day. We're trying to make it better, and we're working hard to improve it. Uh, the reason being, if, you know, we can keep the ground soldiers from being able to be seen by the enemy or being able to detect that IED and place her out there, then, it, it, you know, it's going to save lives and then uh, save them in the, in the long run. Great, thank you. Uh, Chuck Simmons from America's North Shore Journal. Uh, first uh, uh, comment. Remarkably, none of you seem to have graduated from the Air Force Academy. No, no. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, I'm just wondering, uh, uh, before you let somebody um, fly uh, a UAV in an operation, how much training uh, do they have? And... Um, what rank uh, of, of individuals are uh, flying these UAVs? Are they all senior uh, non-coms, or you know, if you uh, could, someone could answer yeah. that. Uh, Staff Sergeant Scales, I answer that. I'm an action operator. I said, um, 
the training is it's open to low enlisted. We have E uh, E ones privates, you know, coming into the program, uh, learning to fly this thing, and it uh, basically goes all the way up to uh, uh, first class C seven or the general operators. Um, yeah, we uh, we have kids young as like seventeen coming in starting this uh, program. It's uh, the training for the shadow itself, which is considered like the baseline for the army, is about seven months long. Uh, it's pretty intense. They go over everything. The, um, the last two months, uh, like one month of simulation, one month of actual flying with instructors, a lot of one-on-one -on -one stuff. Um, it's um, it's like it's fairly easy to uh, fly these things. They've um, they've incorporated. It's not like you know a throttle. Uh, and stick to fly it around. It's um, a lot of point and click and type in coordinates, stuff like that. Uh, it eliminates a lot of mistakes. Like I said, the training only takes really a couple months long. Uh, a lot of that's just over training, like as far as um, explaining all the uh, aspects of the equipment. So someone could actually learn to fly this thing um, in a basic sense within a couple weeks. Okay. Uh Samantha, are, is there going to be a transcript of this? Um, we're looking into getting a transcript right now. If we do get a transcript, I will certainly provide that. But as of right now, we're not sure yet. I'll have more information following this. Thank I'll you. let you all know through email, though. Thank you. Oh, sir, um, my name is uh, Sergeant Blanco again. Uh, for the smalls, uh, that's the 20-pound and underweight class of aircraft. I, uh, we, I'm the master trainer, so we instruct that at Fort Benning. Uh, believe it or not, our, our course is 10 days long. For the operators, and it's five days for the master trainers currently. Uh, that's going to change in the near future, but it's very easy to take a young soldier today who's, uh, we call them the uh, Xbox generation of type of soldier, and easily transition them into this type of training. They're very, very adapt to multitasking, um, being able to pick up the information flow ra rather quickly, believe it or not, than a soldier my age who's about 39 getting ready to retire. <laughs> Believe it or not, today's young kids, or excuse me, young soldiers that come in, uh, very fast learners, very smart. It's not hard to transition in them into something like this, like the Raven, the Puma, the Wasp. Um, believe it or not, they pick it up rather quickly, uh, and they love it. For them, uh, believe it or not, it's the uh, best video game in the world, I hate to say it, but for the, that young generation, that is exactly what it is. They pick up the training very fast, so it's not hard. You're right, there's, uh, I, t I train... Scouts, military police, uh, support personnel, and it's very easy for us to transition them into something like this for the smalls. But you got you to gotta remember, smalls are very light, very fast, and very cheap. So, you know, the damage they do is not, you know, big if they were to hit another vehicle in the air. Uh, but the damage they do with the information flow is effective. It's very effective. And uh, it's, it's fun, sir. Very fun. Yeah, this is uh, Sergeant Sales again. Uh, yeah, one, um, one thing I didn't mention as far as our like training, like I said, you could actually learn this stuff and you know actually fly in a couple weeks. But all the other training that goes along with it, uh, like the first month of my training was uh, FAA ground school. So we're learning all the rules of the air as far as you know we're not flying other people's airspace and just general flight stuff you know, about weather and stuff like that. So um, I think we're pretty well trained to you know fly around. We're not just out there doing whatever we want to. Hey, Spencer Ackerman here from uh, Danger Room. Um, could the shadow operators talk a little bit about uh, the impending weaponization of the shadow? Um, what are you uh, looking for in terms of changes uh, to tactics? What do you think uh, weaponization will bring? 
Um, how far out do you think that, that is realistically? I saw that uh, Raytheon and Namo have a, have a smaller warhead that they're now testing. Um, what do you think it's going to mean for uh, shadow operators to now have uh, a weapon at their disposal? Hey, uh, Spencer, this is Sophia Bledsoe, um, PEO Aviation. Uh, th these guys actually aren't the, the right guys for that question because that, that question belongs to the uh, project office and also to the guys over at Fort Rucker. So what we'll do is we'll take your question down and have them get back to you if that's possible. Uh, but, you know, these guys who train with Shadow couldn't uh, talk a little bit about what they would uh, think about the weaponization of the Shadow? I don't quite understand that. No, because they, these guys are UAS, uh, unmanned aircraft systems operators. What they do is fly. Um, they're not. They're not in charge of making that decision of, uh, uh, in terms of weaponizing any of the uh, unmanned aircraft systems. So that actually belongs to the project office. These guys just fly them. Sure, but I'm not asking about the decision to do it. I'm asking about from an operator's perspective what that would mean. I don't mean to belabor the point. I'm just. Um, this is Kelly Pate from at Fort Rucker, USAFE. Um, I'd be happy to follow up with you after that, and we'll get you the right people that will talk that to you. Okay. Could you send me an email, please? Absolutely. be happy. All right. Thanks very much. And I can provide that email to both you, Sophia, and to Kelly as well. We're going to go down. Mark Bassett, do you have a question? Uh, I, I'd like to know what, what is the, the, the daily routine of, 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 of you three uh, piloting this uh, unmanned uh, uh, Flying vehicles. What, what are you doing right now in this this, this this time? And what is your daily routine working with this? Hi, this is uh, CWT Scott Orr. Um, a typical daily routine, um, let's say in a training environment, would be uh, there's different RL progressions, uh, readiness levels that all the operators have to attain, and that includes flight hours and um, certain tasks on the payload they have to obtain. So most of the time in the rear, we're concentrating on training and integrating ourselves with the troops on the ground that are actually going to use the systems. Um, in a combat environment, um, usually it's a, it turns into kind of like a groundhog day for our guys because um, they're constantly flying. They usually get one day off every 10 days, and um, it's usually a 12-hour shift. Um, and it could be that PFC 18-year-old um, out there flying the aircraft on a daily basis for a year. So, yeah, um, this is starting to scale itself. I like the last uh, deployment I was on. We did work 12-hour shifts, uh, but we limited each person in there. Usually, like eight hours at the most. We rotated people around. We had uh, three or four people that could actually get in there, so we're not sitting there flying for, you know, like I said, 12 hours straight. That that's just pretty much close to deadly because you're just bored and you stop watching what you're doing. Like our, our, the shadow system at least is set up where it will fly itself pretty much. You just have to tell it where to go. And like I said, we try to re, uh, um, alleviate that fatigue by rotating people through and just, you know, of course when we're out there we're trying to, you know, uh, talk to each other and keep ourselves, you know, um, up and all that stuff. But you know, like I said, it's um, rotating people is, through is how we get through our uh, uh, at least deployment days. Going on to the next, um, Xavier, do you have a question? Sure. Uh, first of all, thank you guys for doing this. Uh, I'm going to write a radio story, so I would like to know if you could uh, characterize for us how your uh, 
the area where you work looks like. What, what do you see when you're working? You have a screen in front of you or some kind of joystick or what does it look like? Um, uh, that's what I was saying. That's a um, shadow operator. So um, normally um, our shelter has uh, like two seats in it. And there's a screen on each side. Uh, like the left side typically is the pilot side. They're flying. Uh, they're the ones that control the aircraft, and the other side um, is the uh, camera side, and they uh, have a joystick, and they, um, like I said, they've got uh, the monitor in front of them. They've got the joystick to zoom in and out, look look around, and um, that's now, about it. For the smalls, our, our systems are smaller, so it's uh, rucksack portable. We, we put the system, the actual uh, laptop and the antennas in the rucksack. Uh, the hand controller is rather small. It has a screen that the uh, operator will look into and control the aircraft. That uh, hand controller also has the uh, joysticks, the throttles, controls, and all the buttons necessary to control the aircraft. So they're looking down at information live, and they're moving on the ground at the same time. It's a little bit different for the smalls. Uh, we have to move with, with our equipment. We, we need to be able to fight with our equipment, and that's our distinction compared to the shadow and the other big UASs. And it has to be light. We have to carry it uh, across mountainous terrains for long distances. Uh, so that's that's different about the smalls. Uh, this is CW2 Scott Worgen. Um I just want to add in there, too, uh, with the shadow, we have a third person that works with it, too. Um, usually they're in a brigade talk, and they have radio comms with uh, troops on the ground to let the operators know what they're looking at and what they're looking for as far as uh, the missions they're doing and training in garrison. Thanks so much. We're going to go ahead. Mr. Harper, if you're out there on the net, do you have a question? Um, no, not at this time. I might uh, have one a little bit later. If you could come back to me, I'd appreciate it. Of course. Um, how about you, Mr. Doyle? Uh, yes, John Doyle with the 4G War Blog. Um, Sergeant's Chief Warfare Officer, thanks for talking to us today. Um, could you tell me what capabilities you wish um, your UAVs had that they don't have now in terms of, you know, seeing farther, seeing at night, seeing from a higher altitude or, or portability or anything since you've, you've uh, used this on deployments at least a couple of times now? What's missing? What would you like the, uh, the aircraft to have or would you like to have a different aircraft? Uh, this is Sergeant Blanc for, uh, for the small side of the house. Right now, we don't have a gimbal payload. That is something where we want. I know it's in the. I know it's coming right now. Uh, the other thing is we need more of the aircraft. Um, the other thing the troops are asking on the ground, believe it or not, is more battery life to the aircraft to increase its uh, flight duration. That's uh, another big step right now. How long is the battery life now? Well, uh, 60 to 90 minutes. So uh, it depends on weather and wind for, for the smalls. Uh, if they have to fight the wind, it's going to cut their battery life down quite a bit. But if we can increase it maybe to two hours, that's what they're saying to me on the, on the, you know, from the master trainer side of the house. Um, but the Army's working on it right now. Uh, but the gimbal is the biggest thing that most of the ground troops want right now. Uh, biggest reason is they want to be more effective uh, using it. And I can't go into details into that right now because uh, we're doing some other stuff down at Fort Benning with the smalls that we're trying to incorporate right now. But as soon as uh, we're done with some of our testing, we'll get back with the PM shop. And that's just tactics right there for us. This that's our scales. Like I said, um, uh, as an operator, yeah, you can always, I always, you know, it's like, oh, we have to go back and refuel. Um, I've got a rather, I guess, a medium-sized 
UAV. So um, for what we use our stuff for, like a brigade level, it's very effective. Um, so uh, one thing we wish you did have more is more UAVs to cover because there's only so much um, last deployment. You know, we had you know a big area to cover. We can only cover so much area. And if we had more UAVs out there, um, then we could do it. But you know, how, how much area can you cover in a shift it, or in a flight? Um, so what, what do you want to look at? I mean, it's. Um, this is CWT Scott War. Uh, that all depends on our mission requirements that we're given from our uh, from our brigade. There's uh, pretty good capabilities with these, so and uh, there's different UAVs they can use for different situations on that too. Different shadows or, or uh, there's different shadows and different uh, different unmanned aircraft vehicles that the um, brigade commanders and and uh, division commanders can use in different situations. So the range on it all depends on the on the individual UAV. Well, then what tops your wish list? Uh, my wish list is I had more uh, operators. Um, it's kind of hard to keep those guys in the Army right now because there's such a high demand on them. So um, as far as the aircraft goes, I think it meets all of the intents, especially for the shadow that our, uh, our brigade commander, which is pretty much designed for, has. Um, um, we haven't ran into a situation where there was something there that we absolutely needed that, that it hasn't been on hand for it, so. Thank you. Thank you. And Todd Lopez, I know you're out there live. Do you have any specific questions you want to ask? Yes, sir. Actually, they feel a little bit more secure and happy when they actually have ravens within the company or battalion. Um, you gotta, you gotta think of it like this. That's something that's gonna take off a lot of the workload off the ground troops. Um, you're gonna throw it up in the air, can launch it. It's gonna go out 10 kilometers and it's gonna clear that whole area for you and provide that information live for you while you know you're doing your patrols. So it gets those ground troops. Uh, it gets them better prepared for the mission that they're gonna uh, go on. Okay. Can somebody repeat that question? We couldn't hear it. He was asking uh, on a daily basis uh, how many lives a shadow or a raven would affect. Daily, I believe was the question, yeah. right? And what types of missions are enhanced by your presence? Or newly created by your presence? Uh, this is Seth Like, uh, a lot of times we're usually um, for on some type of like specific mission. Like, we usually like cover like a company size element, which um, have about 50 people or so. Um, or he's uh, doing overwatch and then watching for anything happening in the area. Like uh, any like ambushes coming in or um, squatters, as we call them. Like uh, they raid a house and someone jumps out the back window. Uh, we've covered many of those before. We've actually um, caught several uh, high-value targets uh, because they're they've got all their watch um, people on watch, and we raid the house. They already had their escape plan. Uh, we're able to like uh, key the infantry into threat and also IEDs. Um, there's countless times we've found IEDs, you know, plant on the road or in placers, 
them digging holes, placing the stuff in there, which, you know, an IED can easily uh, kill several soldiers right there. So right there is an immediate... Uh, for, for the small side of the house, the same thing. Um, company level, battalion level, I said to use them. Um, mainly used a lot, too, by the scouts, special operations. They're very effective when it comes to special operations because they're, you know, very portable. Uh, every day we're doing the same thing, uh, battle damage assessment, route clearance, IND, emplacement, uh, reconnaissance, that sort of thing. Um, but the smalls are quiet. That's another big thing. They're very quiet, so I guess that's why special operations loves them. <laughs> Keeps them in the dark. This is Chief War. Um, I can tell you just on a personal basis of deploying twice with it, it's the commander's eye in the sky, the brigade commander's. Um, so he'll base, this gives him a better situational awareness of what the troops are engaging on the ground. Um, and it, it's kind of like a go-no-go no um, in some situations criteria for that brigade commander so he can see directly what's going on instead of, uh, instead of just hearing it over the radio. And it also gives them that, those eyes beyond the horizon. Uh, they're out there looking straight ahead, forward, and into the future. So that's the biggest thing right there. If I know what's ahead of me, I can better prepare for it. Thanks, Todd. Um, I don't know if we've got anybody else on the net before I get back to Mr. Harper. Is there anybody else out there? Hearing none. Mr. Harper, do you have um, any questions? Uh, yeah, just a couple. Um, have you ever lost... Um, a UAV either getting shot down or crashing or anything like that? Um, this, it, is, this is to everybody. This is Chief War with the Shadow Platoon in the 82nd. We, we haven't lost an aircraft or had one shot down. Um, I can't talk for other units or other situations, but uh, as far as our unit, we've never lost a Shadow to a mishap um, as far as mechanical being shot down or especially operator, and that's the key thing for us. Um, I think being integrated into aviation and the checklist and all that is a key thing for us. So, Now, on the small sides of the house, I could tell you this. Uh, there have been some of the small uh, Ravens gotten shot down downrange, but that's due to, you know, high-intensity combat situations where these ground units are, you know, you got to think about it. They're low and in close with the enemy. It's a little different for us. Sometimes, believe it or not, they'll fly them right about, you know, building top level just to start searching for insurgents and stuff. And that, uh, those ravens are also deterrents in sort of a weird kind of way. They hear that UAV coming in, uh, they hear the prop, they know they're under surveillance. Either two things are going to happen, fight or run. Some choose to run, some choose to fight. And uh, my other question is, um, how many um, of these systems do you have in each unit, typically? Um, in a brigade environment for the shadow, you have one shadow system per brigade. And for the ravens? Ooh. It depends on the, on the, on the unit metal for us. It's a little bit different, but it should be one per company and uh, uh, several per brigade. I think it's four per brigade. Okay, thank you. Okay, we still have some time for more questions. Um, Spencer, do you have any um, follow-up questions? Talk about small ground vehicles being extended. Yes, I did. I did. Can you please repeat the question for the group to hear? Uh, Todd asked the question uh, if we could talk about the uh, the 
soon to be extended range for the for the Ravens. I can tell you this down at um, uh, I'm going to give you. I'm, I'm part of Echo Company, second of the 29th Infantry uh, Battalion, 197th Infantry uh, Regiment. Right now, um, they just picked up the ground robotics school down at Fort Benning. So right now, there's a lot of teaming between the uh, SUAS or Smalls and the ground robotics. Um, Every day we're out there with the warfighters, so we're experimenting with new uh, tactics and uh, techniques on how to use these systems, uh, trying to increase their range, trying to make them more effective. Um, like I said earlier, we're trying to increase the, the range of our ground robo robotic systems right now. Uh, line of sight, 300 meters from the gr uh, ground station to the ground robot, transmitting that signal. We're trying to boost that up to 1,000 meters. Uh, we found out that the Ravens are very effective too, especially the uh, digital data link ones. They can transmit a, a signal on a secret uh, uh, channel, separate channel from the Raven, and push the uh, ground robot a little bit further out. So you're bouncing a signal for the ground robot? Yes, the pretty much. So that's another payload for the Ravens? Well, not well. Yes, yes and no. Right now, uh, with the DDL systems, they're actually uh, we're using some of their signals. We're, we're we're testing that out and experimenting with it. And, and, um, a lot of other companies have uh, are selling us, uh, or they're bringing their products down to bidding to just show us. But we're not even we're not even looking into that right now. The only thing is, we're trying to get out as much bang for our buck from the Raven. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to work with with the only thing that the Ravens can provide right now. Nah, that's not going to happen for a long time. I mean, we're just, you know, we just started ground robotics. We're just playing with those systems down at Fort Benning. And you got to imagine, that's the home of the infantry. We get to play with a lot of stuff down there, and we're trying to just be very effective with the systems that we have currently right now. So, you know, if I can, I, I have to look at it like this. If I can uh, prevent a soldier from stepping on a bomb or getting, being shot at, then I'm going to use, use the systems that I have currently in the inventory. And that's all we're doing right now. We're not trying to make the, you know, we're not trying to change the system. We're just trying to use what we got. And if Uncle Sam gave me a ground robot and an air vehicle to work with, then I'm going to use it as best as I can in the front line. And that's how we're showing our leaders down there at Fort Benning. This is how you can use this system. This is how you can transmit the information. This is what you can do with that information. Uh, you got to, you got to imagine you know, right now. It's hard. Uh, at Fort Benning, uh, we got aviator-type training with infantry-type training that we're trying to combine at the same time. So there's a there's a big gap right there. Uh, our leaders, we're trying to get them, you know, hey, this is, these are the systems out there for you. This is how you can use them in unison. Uh, be ready because this is coming in the future. Thank you. Um, we're going to start um, through the list again. Um, Mr. Ackerman, if you have any specific follow-up questions, now's the time. Hearing none, uh, Mr. Simmons. Yes, I, I have uh, one very quick one and then a little bit longer one. First of all, could someone run down the name of the UAV in, in order of size? And secondly, could someone comment on the recent test in Iraq where the Gray Eagle and the Shadow uh, worked uh, together um, in a missile attack? Um, this is Marty Shelton. I will run down in order of size from large to small the unmanned aircraft systems in our in our fleet. Uh, the largest is the Gray Eagle. 
The second largest is the hunter. And then the shadow. The puma. Can, right? I'm, I'm sorry. The After the shadow, I couldn't understand that one. Puma. What is Can you spell that? There's P as in Papa. Ah. U as in Uniform. M as in Mike. A as in Alpha. Thank you. The raven. And the wasp. And then as far as the vignettes you were referring to, uh, we're not at liberty to discuss that just yet. Thank you. Oh. Thanks, Chuck. Mark, do you have any, any follow-up questions? Uh, hello, Mark Bassett, La Vanguardia. I, I wonder what's your view about all this ethical debate that there is about the unmanned uh, aircraft systems uh, in the United States or around the world, whether it's ethical uh, for a for an armed force to, to launch war from a di from such a distance uh, without being on the on the spot, etc. I, w I would like I'm very curious to know what's your views about it. Hi, this is CW2 Scott War. Um, in a combat environment, it saves lives. Um, we're not going around looking at the average civilian. We have specific tasks that we're tasked to do. We do those tasks and come back. We're not just flying around aimlessly looking at in people's backyards. We have specific tasks we're tasked to do by our chain of command. So, um, and, and that task is to save save our troops' lives, so. That's task around scale. So I don't think any of us actually, you know, we don't have any uh, armament on our vehicle, so we've never actually been in that position to, so I'll, we can really even answer that question that well. Sam Blanco. Um, the only thing we're doing is receiving information, and uh, that information gets transmitted down to the soldiers. Um, but you got to understand one thing, that information is going to be what's actually happening out there. So th the soldiers are going to react to what's happening on the ground, and that's it. If it saves their lives, that's their priority, is for us to transmit that uh, information down to them. All right. Xavier, any follow-up questions? Sure. Um, Pretty much as a follow-up, as Mark was asking, I would like to know what was the worst day that you can recall doing your job, and if you think after what happened, if something could have done been differently in a way for a different outcome. Um, this is Sergeant Blanco again. Um, uh, I think the worst day of doing my job, I was on a, on a training mission instructing uh, some soldiers. Um, Another group of soldiers came into contact with the enemy. Um, we were at the max distance of our aircraft. Uh, we could be. Uh, we transmitted the information down to them, but you know, I'm going to tell you from being there and doing it. Sometimes you get to see what's on the ground and what's going on live, um, and then you realize it's not a game. It's the real deal. Um, you want to jump into the fight and you can't do it. But the only thing you can do is transmit the information, and that's about it. And get the assets out there to the guys who need it the most. It's bad when you're looking at it at the screen and you're looking at other soldiers getting shot at. It kind of hits you hard, especially when you've been there before and you just want to grab a weapon and get out there yourself. But at the same time, you know that your main weapon is that information flow and you got to keep going and pushing it. And that's pretty bad sometimes when you can't... You can affect the battle, but coming down from a ground soldier experience, you want to be in the battle. And the best way to do it is just doing it 
currently right now with the systems that I have available. I see it every day from uh, the other guys that go down there to Iraq or Afghanistan and other places. And it's, it's a tough job because you're sitting behind a nice screen and you're watching the fight. You know, that's, that's tough when you know you could be in the fight. But now you have, you're affecting the fight at a different level with the information flow back to the commanders. Uh, that's that battalion commander, that company commander. This is Chief War. Um, I think a bad day for me and uh, probably my guys also would be not being able to get my aircraft up due to weather or something like that because we know that our guys are dependent on us to get up in the air and provide provide coverage and give them good situational awareness of what they're about to do or, or what they're doing at the time. So um, I think that would be a bad day for me and probably my guys. Yeah, this is Staff Scale. That was um, by far, if I say, worst day. Uh, for uh, since being a UAV operator was a day that it was weather we couldn't get up in the air and well relieved to actually be able to get time to you know do some uh, other stuff you know some other training make sure everything was good on maintenance side stuff like that uh, at you know end of the day uh, we saw some uh, guys come in the um, gate they got hit by an IED and we weren't able to do anything with it you know because they they came up to us and said man I wish you guys were up in the air because um, they know when you're out there because you know, they can hear our system. And they knew the horrible weather. They didn't hear it, so they were able to place and detonate an ID. And by to that day, they actually killed, I think, two soldiers. So that's something that always sticks in my mind. The other, the other good thing, too, is the, other, the flip side of that is a lot of the guys live, eat, and play, and engage with the forward deployed soldiers. That's the other good thing. We're out there with them, our instructors, our operators. Our master trainers, they're out there with the forward deployed troops. And so that's, that's, that's the good thing about it. So I say, uh, I'm always, you know, uh, interacting with them. They know who we are. They always come by and see us. And like I said, they are very happy for us to be up all the time. You know, they, they feel, they've, I've heard countless times, they, they feel so much better when they can hear our, um, my system. It's the shadow, which um, jokingly called the flying lawnmower because it is very loud. Um, we're flying, um, you know, very high up, and they can still hear us. So they they like they actually like that sound. So. All right, Mr. Reed, do you have any follow up questions? Uh, yeah, this one's a little bit in the weeds, but uh, it's for uh, Sergeant Blanco again. What data link did you say that um, you had been using with the uh, Raven to extend the range of the Sugbies? I'm not going to get into that right now, sir. Um, we're working on some of some stuff, and I can't. I'm not. I can't discuss that particular question right there. Okay. All right, Mr. Doyle, on the line. Do you have any follow-up questions? Uh, yes, I do. I got a, a short one, and then a, a slightly long, short one aimed at Sergeant Blanco, I believe, and then uh, for all three of you gentlemen. Um, for the smaller hand-launched uh, UAVs, does the size of, and the relative strength of the soldier matter? Do you? Is it like, you know, the old days carrying a BAR, you gave it to the biggest guy because he could <laughs> carry the heavy weight? Is, is, is there any issue there for a hand-launched UAV? Uh, believe it or not, no, sir. But I could tell you this. Uh, I had a recent graduate of the course who was an MPP, military uh, soldier that's still active, so there's no, no restrictions on that, believe it or not. Uh, it's very light, and it, it's all in technique. Uh, we've had male and female soldiers graduate the course, and even a soldier who was an amputee, so no, it doesn't. Okay. And for all three of you, um, since the 
aircraft that you're you're flying, you're launching, their their basic mission is ISR. Um, in your since your two deployments, when you you first went over there, and since you've come back, were were there any uses of it or um, anything that surprised you? Um, you know, wasn't included in the uh, the uh, manufacturer's uh, specifications that uh, you know, or a use that that once you're uh, in country, you know, something somebody said, why don't we do? Why don't we use it for this? And it, and it worked. Yeah, any stories like that? Uh, well, for uh, for the small sir, we we kind of know what we're getting with our packages, but every day the uh, the uses or the taxes of of it are being upgraded or changed constantly. Uh, the systems for us it's lighter, faster, and cheaper. But the biggest thing is this: sir, um, we use them so much and so effective that every day uh, the taxes got changing. Uh, UESs uh, are making a big change out in the battlefield. And it's just amazing what they can do. Um, I mean, I don't even think we fully have uh, um, reached our potential with it with the system, you know. Um, as far as the shadow goes, um, when we initially went out, we had the same restrictions as uh, manned rotating aircraft while we were there. Um, after we were there for a while, there was a need for us to be up when they couldn't maybe due to weather or something like that. So that was a good benefit of having an unmanned aircraft in that environment that we could actually launch when the main guys couldn't and still provide some coverage uh, that couldn't be provided by some of the, the rotary wing aircraft. So I think that was a good thing. Yeah. This is starting to scale the place. Um, I guess when I came in, uh, I guess my first deployment in 2006 with the system, um, Everybody in our platoon, except for one person, was completely new. We'd just all been retrained. You know, the shadow was new pretty much to the Army. And over there, yeah, we have a camera looking down at stuff. And by the end of the year, we had um, developed some uh, countless things, you know, because commanders figured out how to work with us better. We figured out how to work the camera better. We knew it was like, you know, rather than just watching stuff, um, we were, you know, you know, just better talking to the commander. They knew exactly what to expect from, you know, what we could do. You know, we knew better what they were doing and how to integrate. Um, so it was, like I said, it was, it was a learning experience for, you know, everybody, that first deployment. And it's just nothing really big, you know, as far as technolo technology coming out. But it was just, like I said, uh, both sides learning how to use the UAV. Did it lead to anyone, any any unit changing tactics? I mean, instead of um, the troops determining what the aircraft did, did it ever go the other way? The aircraft made uh, your your uh, tactics, uh, small unit tactics change? This is Chief War. Um, all this is still pretty new, so the tactics are constantly evolving, so. Yeah, nothing major has happened. It's just we just learned how, mainly we learned how to talk to each other. That's the biggest thing. We know, like, you know, um, you know, I you know, coming in, I wasn't very familiar with infantry how they worked. Um, so I learned what they're doing, so I know exactly what you know. I have a better idea what what they're going to be doing, and they know they now have a better idea what I do. So they know how to ask the questions. How, you know, how to get me to do what they need me to do. You know, look here or you know, scout this area out or whatever. All right. Um, with that being said, are there any last minute? need to know right now questions that are out there on the net. Got one here, here from Todd, Samantha. Okay. 
from for Todd, we're going to have you do that offline. Um, with that being said, if there is no more specific questions over the net, I think that will be the conclusion of today's roundtable. Um, I'm sorry, did I hear something? With that being said, um, thank you so much um, to the bloggers that are out there. Any specific questions, please send my way. I will do my best to see if we can get a transcript in hand to you. I will hopefully have that by the end of this week. Um, I'm hoping by the end of today or tomorrow, but I will send that to you in an email. Thank you so much um, for our operators for participating and for our bloggers for joining in.